0: This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Work and Life on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here is Professor Stu Friedman. Welcome to Work and Life. It's a conversation, and I'm so glad you're joining us. It's a conversation in which we explore everything related to work and the rest of your life, family, community, our society, your private self. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. I'm the founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and of our leadership program. And uh, that music that you just heard Well, it's an honor of our guest tonight, who originally hails from down under, from Australia. We're going to talk about coaching, which is very much in fashion, floating around the business world as a buzzword for all kinds of counseling and management ideas, driven by a need for, well, results, (laughs) businesses all around the world are turning to pretty complicated systems and books for coaching. Uh, but what if, what if coaching uh, could be simplified? My guest tonight argues against the advice-giving maniacs, as I think he refers to them. I could be wrong about that. Michael will tell me. Uh, and, and suggests a, an approach that is different, that is slow and deliberate to management and to coaching in his wonderful book, super accessible, very practical, The Coaching Habit, Say Less, Ask More, and Change the Way You Lead Forever. He combines research based in neuroscience and behavioral economics with interactive training tools that provide a clear, simple approach to coaching and to leadership in work and in the rest of your life. Uh, before before I, I welcome him to the show, a little bit of background on Michael. It's Michael Bungay Stanier. Uh, he's the founder and senior partner of a company he calls Box of Crayons, which brings me directly back to my youth. Uh, burnt Umber is what I'm thinking. But we can talk more about that later. Uh, Box of Crayons is a company that's known for teaching bits, 10-minute coaching so that busy people, busy managers, busy people in all different settings can build stronger teams, get better results. He left Australia 25 years ago to become a Rhodes Scholar at Oxford University, where his only significant achievement, this is from him, I'm not telling you this based on my observations, this is his info, his only significant achievement, and I would say probably a very significant one at that, was falling in love with a Canadian I mean, how do you do that? No, a Canadian, which is why he now resides in Toronto, which is where I think he is right now when we're about to speak, having spent some time in London and in Boston, balancing out these moments of success. And I I really like this part of his bio. Michael was banned from his high school graduation for the balloon incident. Oh, we all know what happened there. No, we don't. We're going to find out, though. I really hope we find out. He was sued by one of his law school lecturers for defamation. Michael, you sound like a pretty nasty guy. Uh, and and his first published piece of writing was a Mills and Boone short story called The Mail, M-A-L-E, Delivery. Michael Bungay-Stania, welcome to Work and Life. Stu,
1: it's so nice to be here. been such a fan of your work for so long. You've been on my podcast, which was awesome, but I am so excited to be here, and thanks for the nice introduction. Oh, well, thank and you. That's really, and pronouncing my name right is like, there's about a, three and a 3% three chance that people get my name right, and you <laughs> nailed it, so that's perfect.
0: Oh, wow. Well, so we're off to a good start. All right. Well, so, Michael, um, listeners are going to be really interested to learn about your, your approach to coaching and how they can use it in, in their lives. Our society... Uh, you know, we are conditioned when we hear to people's problems just to give them answers, right? To give them right. advice, but you're you're focusing on a different approach, one in which, uh, well, uh, has a different kind of mindset. Why? Tell us what that is and why it's important.
1: You know, the, the the very simple to describe, but actually harder than you'd think to do behavior that I think really benefits everybody in the conversation is, can you slow down the rush to give advice and move to action? And can you stay curious just a little bit longer? Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the things I'm saying to you right from the top is, it's, it's not to say never give advice, because that would be ludicrous. I mean, there's times when advice is exactly the thing that needs to be offered. You know, when somebody comes up to you and goes, yeah, where, where do I find the file folder? You don't go, so, you know, how are you feeling about the file folder? You tell them where the file folder is. But as, as people, we are wired to leap in, jump in, and offer ideas, solutions, and action, in part because we've had a lifetime of being encouraged to be the person who has the answer. Mm. You know, you get the A at school, you get the A at university, you try and be the subject matter expert in your work, all of that. And as a certain point when the the knowledge runs out and curiosity can actually play a more powerful role, and that's that's the simple thing I'm advocating. Look, there's a place for advice, but can we just stay curious a little bit longer and slow down the rush to action and advice giving?
0: You know, l- listening really seems to be in such uh, short supply these days in yeah. in the national and international discourse. Uh, That seems uh, so fractious and so uh, contentious. Uh, So there's increasing demand for various approaches to living and interacting with other people at work and in other parts of life that are uh, all about what you are advocating for. Compassion, curiosity about the other, really trying to grasp their point of view uh, before leaping to judgment. Um, what are you seeing in, in the world as, as it relates to the demand or the interest in, in the work that you are bringing to the
1: world? Well, we're, I mean, we're, we're having great demand at the moment. I mean, the book is this actually surprisingly, amazingly successful book for us at the moment. It's been out about a year and a half, and it's sold almost 300,000 copies so far. So if you, go, if you go on that metric alone, there's obviously some demand for that. The challenge is, and it's ironic, okay? Like you're going to say, let me give you some advice, and that's not to give as much advice. So mm. it's one thing—a paradox, know. Yeah, exactly. It's one thing to know the theory of, I, I want to say, curious. Mm-hmm. What's hard for people is to actually do that because we have deep habits, we have deep patterns of behaviour, where we're kind of triggered to leap in and be that person with the solution and with mm-hmm. the answer. So, in fact, in the book, one of the things we start with, the first chapter, is actually a chapter about habits. Now, I'm, no, I'm not an <laughs> original researcher on habits, but I certainly feel like I stand on the shoulder of some giants like Charles Duhigg, who wrote The Power of Habit, and B.J. Fogg, who wrote, who wrote a great website called tinyhabits.com, and Leo Babauter and others. I just going, look, if you start to understand habits you start to understand that they're the building blocks of behavior change. Mm -hmm. And if you buy into this conversation that we're having, that actually it's a powerful human act to stay curious a little bit longer, because I love the way you put it, Stu, which is this isn't just about becoming a more efficient, effective manager, although it will help with that. This is actually about how do you slow down enough to start seeing the other person across the table from you, you know, literally or metaphorically as a fellow human being. Um, You know, I don't know if you know, and I'm Mm -hmm. I'm sure you do, the the writer Martin Buber. And I don't know his work particularly well, but he has a distinction that I love. And it's the difference between I, it, and I, thou. It's two Mm -hmm. ways of describing a relationship. I, it, is when it's you and a kind of objectified other person or other thing. Mm-hmm. And I-thou is actually when you're able to see them as another fully present human being.
0: Yes, an important I, work thou, of in the course. whole uh, the history of existential philosophy and thought.
1: Exactly. And it, it really feels that part of what's wonderful about this show is it is about a championing of the behaviors and the ways of thinking that allow us to, as best we can for as long as we can, move from that I-it relationship, which is kind of where we spend a lot of time, and I think ad- I'm going to fix you with my advice is an I-it mm. move, mm. to an I-thou priest, which is around let me create the space where I can stay present and curious and supportive and, and for you in the journey you're on.
0: So why is it, do you think, that we are so um, conditioned to be um, advice-giving problem solvers rather than yeah. uh, curious, caring uh, and, uh, you know, engaging in inquiry.
1: Yeah, I think there's two answers to that, Stuart. I think there's a, there's a, a kind of a superficial level or a kind of more obvious answer, um, and then there's a deeper, more subtle answer to it. So the superficial answer, or at least the, the kind of the obvious one, is that, you know, we're trained to be the person with the answer. You know, we're encouraged, we're, we're rewarded, we're supported. We've been told all our lives having the answer is a good thing to do. You know, school, high school, university, they're all rewarded for being the smart person with the answer. Um, Our our, our careers, Mm -hmm. um, our roles as parents, it's all about, do you know what you're doing and do you have the answer to this?
0: Uh, Let me offer to you, as as you're thinking about what we're talking about here and listening to this conversation about curiosity versus advice-giving, uh, it's something that uh, that I'm trying to teach my students in the Leading Effective Teams course uh, here at the Wharton School. One of the things that we learn about and that we refer to in an earlier uh, uh, radio show and, and podcast with Roger Schwarz, who takes a similar approach, how to engage people in mutual learning by being genuinely curious about the other, but also by stating your own view. And it's remarkable uh, just today in class we were uh, we were um, doing a a fish bowl in which we have a small team of students having a conversation they 're the fish and the bowl uh, hey Michael, are you there? you want to come back I am. okay I am back. let me let me just finish this little anecdote and then and then uh, i was telling I was telling folks about the use of uh, the fishbowl technology for people to learn about how other people interact and to just watch people interacting, trying to use this approach of what uh, Roger Schwartz, uh who's another person who operates in, in, in this space and who was on the show recently, talks about a mutual learning. Uh, and so, <clears throat> but to the point of how, how uh, even as students are reading about, you know, practicing the skill of, of being curious, uh, remaining open, stating your view, but trying to listen intently to the point of view of others... Uh, even as they're learning this, they're being you know, evaluated on how well they're doing it. Uh, right. It's still uh, such a hard thing to, to be conscious of, to, to express interest in. So what do you think about this idea as opposed to here's my idea, I think it's the right idea. So right. It's, uh, it, is, it is ubiquitous, strong, built into our our wiring in terms of how we've been educated and, and trained. So people come to you, or they come to your book, trying to change, yes?
1: That's right, um, and they, they, often there's, some, there's a degree of crisis, that may be an overstatement, but let's frame that in the broader sense, which has brought them to the need for changing this behavior, mm-hmm. because they finally go, I have no more capacity to give advice. And, you know, in my working life, and we spend, you know, as my company works mostly in organizational life, you know, we run into managers that are in these three vicious circles there. They have a team that's become over-dependent on them because Mm -hmm. the teams kind of train them to go, you tell me the answer, and the more you tell me the answer, the more I'll come to you for the answer.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, They're overwhelmed because there's, you know, there's data, there's information, there's meetings, there's obligations coming at to them in all different directions. And sometimes there's also what Simon Sinek would call that kind of loss of the why, the disconnect from mm. purpose. Mm-hmm. So they just hit that piece going, look, I am doing my best, and I'm exhausted and I'm frustrated. This way of working isn't working as well as I'd wanted. Right. How do I shift the way of behaving yes. to find a new way of working? The, and
0: certainly the sense of being overwhelmed is is, is a theme that we, we touch on quite a bit on this show, as you can imagine. Let me just remind yeah. listeners, this is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. I'm speaking with Michael Bungay-Stanier, who's the founder and senior partner at Box of Crayons. Still makes me think of burnt umber, Michael, and <laughs> an author of the best-selling book, The Coaching Habit. Such a great book, so accessible, so useful. If you've got a question about coaching and about uh, learning how to ask questions rather than give advice and how that can liberate you, uh, give us a call. The number is eight four four Wharton. We'll be taking your calls in just a few minutes. Eight four four Wharton. That's eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. So. How do you help people michael what's what's the where Where do they start and what do you what do you take them through
1: yeah, so part of the start and again, we work mostly with organizational folks in organizations so managers and leaders but honestly we we know that these tools apply to everybody is we first have a quick conversation about why would you even want to be more co you know this isn't about training people to be coaches really it's about mm-hmm. how do you be a person that's more coach like and remember that, mm-hmm. how do I stay curious a little bit longer? How do I rush to action and advice just a little bit more slowly?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and, we, and we go, so what's getting in the way? You know, and some people go, ah, oh, I don't have time for this. You know, it's like co- coaching takes too long. I, you know, you mm-hmm. have to lie down on a couch and have an hour-long conversation. Who has time for that? And I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, nobody does, really. Well, so for us, we're some like... People uh, y- y- some people do. Some people do.
0: But it's harder like, these days.
1: Yeah. But it is harder, and it's not something you can do on an everyday basis. Mm-hmm. So for us, it's like, if you can't have this conversation in 10 minutes or less, you're, you're right, you probably can't be more coach-like in the work. But you, just the good news is, these conversations can be really fast. Mm-hmm. And the second framing for a lot of people is to say, look, you don't. Act, this is not turning you into a coach, because it turns out lots of people don't want to be a coach. Mm-hmm. They just want to be better at their life. You know, the theme mm-hmm. of this whole conversation. I want to have a better life, I want to integrate I want to connect, I want to be present, I want to find balance, I want to manage overwhelm. And it's about, look, this is about helping you get there. Because one of the things that we say is, look, if, actually, if you master some of these skills, you end up working less hard but having more impact. All right, so, so staying
0: to... curious a little bit longer, slowing down your rush to mm-hmm. action. What is the, play that out in more specific terms. In terms, like You've yeah. got these seven lovely questions that, that, that can help. Uh, yeah. br- bring these ideas these principles to life uh, perhaps you can share those with us now
1: sure let me do that and let me start with the first and the last one okay a nice way of kind of framing the conversation we call these the bookend questions because if, if you buy into this whole idea of look if this is going to work I need to be able to do it quickly mm-hmm. ten minutes or less then you know you need to know how to start a conversation more quickly and end it more powerfully Hmm. So the first question is called the kickstart question because it's such a great way of kickstarting a a conversation and it is simply this question, what's on your mind, what's on your mind Hmm. and here's why I think it works so well. The first thing is it is an open question. It says to that other person, hey, you get to choose where this conversation goes. You get to choose what we talk about. Mm -hmm. So it gives them control and autonomy all that good stuff, but it also says to them, don't tell me anything, tell me the thing that you're worried about, Mm -hmm. or excited about, Mm -hmm. or waking up at four o'clock in the morning about, or feeling stuck about, go somewhere important. Mm -hmm. And what happens is, before you know it, you're into a conversation that has some meaning and some focus and some point to it. Mm -hmm. It kind of accelerates the drop down into a conversation of substance rather than feeling a bit like, ah, you know, we're doing small talk, we're doing chit-chat, I'm trying to listen Mm -hmm. and be present, but when are we gonna get to the point of this conversation? Mm -hmm. What's on your mind will take you deeper, more quickly.
0: So when someone says, ah, nothing.
1: Yeah. Well, that that may be true. (laughs) Um, And you may go, okay, fair enough. Think of
0: a a 16-year-old.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I don't have kids of my own, Stu. And so I'm loath to try and tell anybody how to be a successful parent. But I have to say, I've had some people come back and go, I've had these questions work on my teenage child, Mm -hmm. which I think is the highest acme of praise, perhaps. (laughs) Um,
0: So if someone uh, says nothing, what's your advice for how you sort of break through that?
1: Yeah, so um, there's a couple of ways forward on it. One is you go, yeah, sure, that's probably true. But if there was something on your mind, what might it be? Mm Mm-hmm. So there's a kind of cunning way of kind of getting to re-answer the question, going, okay, that's sure. Mm -hmm. But take a guess. If you had to guess what might be on your mind, Mm -hmm. what might be there?
0: Yeah, I could see how um, that would open it up. Is there another one? There
1: might be some alternatives, which is like, okay, if there's nothing on your mind, what's the most useful place for us to start this conversation? Mm -hmm. And... Often it's in the context of, you know, you're expecting a conversation with me, or maybe this is our weekly one-to-one conversation, or maybe there's somebody who's shown up and gone, I'm in the kitchen with you, I am having a cup of coffee, I'm looking worried or distressed. You, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's a conversation ripe to be had. A great way to start is to go, hey, look, I'm curious, what's on your mind? Mm-hmm. And before you know it, you'll get in somewhere powerful. Yeah,
0: it's wonderful. I mean, it really does, it's, it's so inviting. So what is the other end of the book end? yeah the, the, the ending so, powerfully
1: and this is particularly powerful i think or particularly useful in that organizational setting because i think mm-hmm. the role of managers and leaders most effective is when they are teachers they're teaching people helping them learn but you've got to realize and Stu, you and i have both learned this the hard way people don't really learn when you tell them stuff <laughs> goes no. in one ear pretty much goes out the. Ear, no, the, the cardinal
0: other rule quickly. in my classroom is the more i speak the worse things go
1: Exactly. I love that. I love that. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. Right. People, people don't even, even learn when they do stuff. I mean, there's a bit more there, but not a whole lot. Mm-hmm. People learn when they have a moment to reflect on what just happened.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And creating that little learning moment as a piece of reflection is actually when the new neural pathways happen, when the aha moments happen so for me the 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 learning question the final question in the book the second bookend question is this question or a variation of it what was most useful or what was most valuable here for you mm-hmm so you can imagine, Stu, in your classroom as they like, leave. It's like, like Before you leave, I want you to write down what was most useful and most valuable about what you learned here today.
0: I, I've been doing this for 30 years. I mean, I do this all the time. This is, yeah. this is a, a natural pathway for, for me, and it's, it's always uh, worked well because you're giving people you know, the authority to yes. determine what it is that mattered to them. And it also yeah. frames it as something, you know, positive. Like, okay, they've got to dig and find what was Brilliant. indeed useful. It's not like, so what do you think? You're not asking them to evaluate. You're asking them to derive meaning and value.
1: You got it. I mean, you said that much more eloquently than I could ever say it. Oh, no, I didn't, I didn't mean to. to no, to, to I loved it. it. It was beautifully said. The, the other, what, what else is nice about it is, I, I loved your point, and it's often missed that by asking that question, you mm-hmm. remind them that just had a valuable experience,
2: mm-hmm. and they
1: might otherwise miss it. Right. Um, but also, if you then listen to their answer, uh, you know, you go around the room and ask, you know, what was most useful or valuable. What happens for you is you get feedback about what's working, so you get to refine your approach, your, you know, your content that you're sharing or your style of teaching, whatever it might be. Um, and we found that this is just such a powerful way because so often in a conversation, you know, you're on one side of it and you just go, I was legendary in this conversation. Powers of wisdom dropped from my lips, nuggets of gold fell from the sky, I was amazing. And the other person walks away going, I have no idea what that was about.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and what this does is just find a moment to extract the value by giving them the autonomy and the authority to do that work and have that, that, that learning. And it connects to that, that lovely throwaway line you had about, you know, the more I talk, the worse it's going. One of the three principles we have about being more coach-like is be is be lazy. Be curious and be often, and you're really pointing to that. Be lazy, piece.
0: Ooh, tell me more about lazy. That sounds good.
1: It is. It's 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 a little provocative because <laughs> when you say to most people, "We want you to be lazy," they bristle a bit because they're they're hardworking, they're ambitious, they're keen. But what you're pointing to in your statement about when I'm talking, the more I talk, the worse it's going. Is you're realizing that. If a conversation is going well, the other person is doing the work because if they're doing the work, they're doing the learning, they're making the connection, Mm -hmm. they're they're making the progress. And your job is to hold the space and still do the work. And much of the work you're doing is self-management, so you're not leaping in and telling them what to do, Mm -hmm. but you're kind of giving them the space and the direction to find their own path and find their own answer.
0: Yes, and that, that of course lightens your load as a manager and it also engages more fully the talents and skills and experiences of uh, the people you're trying to uh, trying to motivate and bring you got it. all their talents to bear on the work you're doing together. All right, exactly so right. So, so that the beginning, the end, we've got yeah. that. Uh, we've just got a couple minutes here before our, the right. first part are, of are our we, show ends. We, you, we can pick we up the second part questions. in the second half, right? You're staying with us for the, for the full show, right?
1: You got me for the whole hour. Excellent. You. Good. Yeah.
0: Good. No. 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 This is uh, excellent. So, um, how about the second question? Let's let's go to that, and then we'll then we'll go to break.
1: Well, let me give you another combination of questions, really quickly. Okay. The first is the focus question, and the insight here is most people are working really hard to solve the wrong problems because they get seduced into thinking the first challenge is the actual challenge. It almost never is. Hmm. So the second, this question, the focus question is, what's the real challenge here for you? And too, how that's built out really matters. Because mm-hmm. you could just ask, what's the challenge here? And actually, that's not a bad question. But it becomes richer as soon as you say, what's the real challenge here? Because mm-hmm. now you're saying, hey, there's more than one thing going on, so what's the, you know, figure it out. What's the real challenge? Mm-hmm. And it becomes even more powerful when you add for you mm-hmm. onto the end of it. What's the real challenge here for you? Because then the spotlight turns from the challenge to the person who's struggling with the challenge. Mm-hmm. It becomes more personal, and the learning becomes deeper. I can see that. That question becomes all the more powerful when you add what we call the best coaching question in the world. Uh-oh. So the best coaching question. Hold on. Drum like, roll. Drum roll. Uh, exactly. Like drum roll, please. <laughs> C- confetti. Fireworks going There off. is
0: now confetti falling down from the Thank studio you.
2: roof.
1: Um, Seriously, the best coaching question in the world three simple words and what else and what else and because it's Uh. so powerful because it goes with the knowledge that the first answer is never their only answer Mm -hmm. and it's rarely their best answer Mm -hmm. and also it's a self-management tool right this is what's helping you stay curious so we teach a little script in one of our classes and and the script goes like this okay so what's the real challenge here for you okay what else is a challenge here for you. And what else is a challenge here for you? And then you lean a little closer and you go, "Okay. So what's the real challenge here for you?" Mm-hmm. And what you find in 3 minutes is people have a deepen the conversation and it shifts a little bit sideways and they find quite often a quite a revelatory aha moment because they've just taken a little bit more time to actually spend time being curious about what that real challenge might be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you're giving them the, uh, the uh, freedom to, to pursue the, the layers below, which are often yeah. uh, the ones that, that are driving so much of what's on the surface. That's right. So, look, well, go ahead, finish your thought, please. I was
1: going to say, so, and here's what people find. When you ask it for the second time, so what's the real challenge here for you, it's almost always different from the answer they gave the first time you asked that same question. And that's important for two reasons. First of all, it means that if you'd been busy solving that first challenge, you'd be solving the wrong problem. Hmm. And then when you add to that, that you know, in general people's advice isn't nearly as good as they think it is, now you're basically offering up slightly crappy advice to solve the wrong problem, and you realize that you're really wasting everybody's time.
0: <laughs> hey, before we go to the break, and 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 learn more about this this uh, very facile, very easy to use coaching methodology and, and how people can use it. Uh, tell me
1: the balloon incident. Huh. So um, yeah, really quickly. My at high school, my headmaster been headmaster for thirty years. The class graduating class the year beforehand caused havoc. They'd let sheep into the the main courtyard. They'd written rude words in weed killer that appeared six months later. They filled the locks with glue. It was a disaster. So we were told as the the final graduating class for this headmaster, you know, do anything, anything at all, and, and chaos will reign. Anyway, so I came up with this idea that we would just fill our chapel with helium balloons. So, you know, it's like a very benign little incident that made a point that, we you know, we're not going to disappear without some sort of statement. Anyway, clearly the school felt this was a less appropriate thing than I did. And I and a few other people got banned from graduating because of that outrageous act. Oh, my of gosh. a chaplain with some helium balloons.
0: Outrageous indeed, Michael Bungay-Stanier. Please stay with us. Uh, we're going to take a short break here, and do not go away. Michael and I are going to be taking your calls at 844-WHARTON. That's eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. 942 And I'm really curious to know from you as you're listening... Uh, what your questions are about how to be more effective at staying curious a little longer and how you can bring that idea into your own life and your own work. The number again, 844-942-7866. I'm Stu Friedman, and this is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. You're listening to Work and Life on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Professor Stu Friedman. Balloons, balloons, balloons. Michael bungay here. How about all those balloons in that That's chapel? A great segue. You, you should not have done that. Welcome back, folks. This is Work and Life. I'm your host, Sue Friedman, the founding director of Wharton's Work Life Integration Project and the Wharton Leadership Program. My guest tonight is Michael Bungay Stanier. He's the founder of Box of Crayons, Thinking Bird author <laughs> of the Wall the Wall Street Journal best selling book, The Coaching Habit, and he has graciously agreed to stay with us for the second half of the show when we open up the phone lines. So what have you taken away from our conversation so far? Uh, the number to join the conversation is 844-WHARTON. That's eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Are you a manager listening who wants to learn more about how to engage and connect with your people? Uh, call in with what's on your mind. Do you do you have a manager who who you'd want to be more motivational or or inspiring or someone who is indeed? I'd love to hear about that and I'm sure Michael would as well. The number 844 942 7866 that's eight four four Wharton. Michael, why do you call it Box of Crayons?
1: You know, it's a a short story. I'll I'll tell it quickly. I was uh, just arrived in Toronto, 2001, left Boston, came up here, knew nobody, and had started my company. So I knew I had to get out there and meet people and talk to people. And uh, I was running a session on branding at my local coach chapter. It's called something like Michael's 3 immutable and unarguable laws of branding and i came up with these three laws of branding and then discovered my company name failed all three of my own laws of branding <laughs> i was like well that's not good i either have to change my three immutable and unarguable with laws of branding or i have to come up with a better name for my own company and i went through i had 3 weeks so i went through a bunch of names And then when Box of Crayons came into my head, I just went, that is a great name. Because, Stu, let me ask you, when you think of Box of Crayons, what do you think of? Burnt Umber. Exactly. What else do you think of?
0: Uh, uh, Creative play.
1: Yeah. Where lots of people go is creative play, diversity, Mm. difference, uh, fun. I mean, basically, nobody's really had a traumatic incident with a Box of Crayons. (laughs) So for most people, they get a nice kind of warm feeling about it, mm-hmm. and also it's a, it's distinctive. You know, mm-hmm. in in our field, it stands out and makes people kind of remember us, and we punch above our weight because of the name. Nice. So well done. You know, it's it's got all of that.
0: All right, so um, I'm interested in hearing more uh, about the the questions, the wonderful. Uh, questions that you have uh mm. generated so tell us more we've got the starting question what's on your mind the yep. closing what was most useful for you yeah the most important or powerful question of all and <laughs> what else yeah you're underselling
1: it it's the best coaching S- question in the world Stu.
0: so what <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> so, what, so what else?
1: What else, exactly. So the other question we've already covered is the focus question, which is, so what's the real challenge here for you?
2: Mm-hmm. So right. if
1: we went to the fifth question, the fifth question is the foundation question. It's, it's the middle question of the seven, and in some ways it's the most powerful, it's the most human question that's there. And it's like all of them, it's simple, but sometimes difficult to answer. And the question is, what do you want? Because, mm. Stu, if you if you wanted to kind of philosophize about what we're about at Box of Crayons, it's about helping people build adult-to-adult relationships in their life, at their work and in their life. Uh, you know, it's very much in theme for what the work you stand for in this world. And, you know, people can nod their head of that, but it's a fair question to ask, well, what do you even mean when you say adult-to-adult relationships? It's a bit kind of therapy speak, and it is. Um, and the way I talk about it, I'm somebody gave me this language and I love it is adult to adult relationship is when you can feel that you can ask for what you want knowing that the answer may be no. Hmm. Now it turns out that actually knowing what you want isn't nearly as common as you might think <laughs> and then having the courage and clarity to ask for what you want is equally rare. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that can be particularly powerful is to ask somebody what do you want? So often, what we do to is we make assumptions that we know what the other person wants, and time. we start telling them, delivering it to them, giving it to them, mm-hmm. and in fact, answering the asking that question and then stopping and listening to the answer can be an extremely powerful act.
0: So, why don't people do that more often? Is or, or, put another way, um, what do people say to you when you ask them what do you want? What, what's a what's a common answer that you hear?
1: Yeah, well. The most common reaction is what I call the goldfish reaction, because their eyes start kind of popping open a little bit, and their mouth makes that kind of little guppy, you know, sound, because mm-hmm. they're like, God, what do I want? And, and then if you want to add the the most powerful question in the world, and what else? So you go, okay, what do you want? What else do you want? Mm-hmm. What else do you want? Mm-hmm. What do you really want? then quite quickly you can get somewhere really interesting and really provocative. Hmm. And of course, it, it it depends on the context of the conversation, what they might say. But one of the things that I talk about in the book is the difference between the wants and the needs.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, for this, you know, I lean into the work of Marshall Rosenberg, who's most famous for his work in around uh, nonviolent communication. And his sense of that, you know, whatever the context you're in will give you an idea of what um, what the want is. And it might be anything from, you know, I want a cold glass of water to I want that report to be written in time to I want, uh, I want you to stop doing that thing that you're doing. But underneath the wants are what he points to are kind of, I think there are about nine very basic human needs and that's, A really powerful place to go because if you get clear on what those deeper needs are, you can really show up in that I-thou type of conversation we talked about early. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the needs are things like recreation or freedom or subsistence or protection or affection or understanding. And often behind that kind of more superficial level conversation is a quest for a deeper need.
2: Hmm.
0: Well, often people are reluctant to even acknowledge, as you say, what those deeper needs are, let alone reveal right. them. Right. So so uh, I'm, I'm sure you encounter all the time people who are either not aware of what those deeper needs are that they have uh, yeah. or are unwilling to, to disclose them.
1: That's true. Um, and uh, honestly, I think often... The question what do you want and hearing what they want at that kind of immediate level is often fine that's often a powerful act in and of itself Mm -hmm. there's something though that if you're thinking to yourself what are they saying that they want and if I had to guess knowing that people have some basic human drivers what might be the deeper need underneath that that allows you to listen at a deeper level and understand that other person at a deeper level. Um, They may Mm -hmm. not be able to say, in fact, most people wouldn't say, well, I I want you to finish that report, but what I'm really asking for under my deeper need is a sense of security because I'm worried about my job. Mm -hmm. Um, But if there's a sense that you go, this is why this person might be behaving like this, is they're anxious because they're feeling a lack of security, that Mm -hmm. may allow you to Present with more compassion to them, perhaps.
0: Compassion, so important to be to be, really be mindful of uh, what what the other might be experiencing. What's what's really right. going on in their world. So, uh, have we have we covered the the full range of the the essential questions? Because I have some got, other questions about them, but I want to make we sure we've got them questions. all. out. Yes,
1: we have two other questions that are, that are part of the mix. So. The, the question six and the question, or question, five and question six. So we'll do those really quickly. Question five is the lazy question. <laughs> and you, you, we talked about be lazy before.
0: Yes, and I was very intrigued because I am. But go ahead. Yes,
1: and I salute you for it. <laughs> um, one of the patterns we're trying to break mm-hmm. is people jumping in to offer advice, offer solutions, fix it, solve it, rescue people around it. Because what people who have this pattern of being a rescuer kind of talk about this model called the drama triangle in the book, is they're like, okay, we're in a conversation. I think I know what you need. I'm going to give it for you. I'm Uh, going to do it. I'm going to fix it for you. I see. And again, we're trying to slow that down. And so that question, how can I help? Or what do you want from me? The lazy question. doesn't sound like it's a lazy question, but what it's doing is it's stopping you rushing into the assumption that you know what they want and start delivering it to them. Oh,
0: so how can I help is the lazy question? Exactly. How
1: can I help? Is a lazy question. That's ironic. It is
0: because because you're asking for like a task, right? Except you're well, not exactly assuming that you've got the answer yeah. for them and taking that on. Or am I missing here's something?
1: What, here's what you're asking for. You're asking for clarity about what they want. Because <laughs> remember, when we talked mm-hmm. about adult adult relationship. Ask for what you want, knowing the answer may be no. Just because you, they ask what they want. doesn't mean you have to do it. It doesn't mean you have to take on the task. Mm-hmm. But what you're doing is you're creating a little clarity here about what actually is what's being requested of you or of others. Mm-hmm. And then you get a choice to act on that. Yep, I'm going to do that. Nope, can't do that. That's ridiculous. Can't do this, but I could do that instead. You know, there are options in front of you. So that's the lazy question, which is, slow down the rush to action by getting clear on what the actual need actually is. Okay. And and the and last? The last one, the strategic question, is simply this. What are you going to say no to so the thing you're saying yes to is a real yes? You know, what are you hmm. going to say? No? Or you can flip that around. What are you going to say yes to so that the no has meaning? Hmm. Because we are, in our organizational life, in our lives, as you talked about this earlier, we are hands up all those people who don't feel overwhelmed. Nobody's hands goes up, right? Mm Because we're all feeling stressed and taxed and pushed this way and that way. And the foundation to managing that sense of overwhelm is getting better at saying no.
0: Hang on to that thought. Hang on to that thought. I want to remind listeners, this is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. I am your host, Stu Friedman. I'm uh, speaking with Michael Bungay-Stanier. And if you have a question or a story to share or uh, you're interested in how to incorporate these questions in your real life, these questions that allow you to stay curious a little bit longer and reduce the stress and sense of being overwhelmed that you may be currently experiencing, the number is 844-942-7866. That's 844 Wharton 844 844-942-7866. Michael, please complete that thought.
1: Yeah. So we're talking about the final question, which is the strategy question, which is, what are you going to say no to? Mm -hmm. So the thing you're saying yes to feels true. Because lots of us are good at the fake yes. You know, we go, my default is to say yes, I'm just going to add it to my already overwhelming life. And it's like pouring water into a full glass
0: you well know, and you're also just... expected in many settings in many business settings yes, we can do that right. yes of course yes 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 when That's of course right. you you can't possibly mean yes uh, right. even though you're compelled to say it because you want to be seen as a person of action, a person who can exactly. commit quickly and make decisive moves to do things
1: and and you're like and you're also trying to be a good corporate citizen, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, I want to be helpful. I want to be a team player and all of that.
0: So what about all those fake yeses? How do we get rid yeah. of them?
1: Well, here's how I tend to think of it, which is because that that equation, what are you going to say no to so that your yes is, is true and real and stronger mm-hmm. is powerful. But to your point, in many organizations and in many parts of life, you sometimes you just can't say a blunt no. So one way of thinking about a solution to this is it's not about a no, it's about slowing down the yes. <laughs> and this is hmm. I don't mean by going, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that but, wouldn't work. I mean, can you just slow down the rush to saying yes? And actually, the solution to that, better questions. Of so course. So you know, things like this. So, Stu, I love that you've asked me to do this, so just let me check in. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you ask me is there something particularly that I can do that, that you're doing this? And mm-hmm. when you say it's important,
0: Why did you is it All
1: equally mm-hmm. important or is some mm-hmm. bits more or less important? Mm-hmm. And you know, did you ask Patricia? Because Patricia's fantastic at this sort of stuff. And I'm wondering if you asked her first or where things are with that. And of course, is there anything you want me to stop doing so I can start doing that? Mm-hmm. And here's what happens when you ask questions like that. I think there's probably maybe three or four outcomes. One is they say, look, could you stop with your annoying questions? This was an order. Just that's what I on.
0: was thinking, Michael.
1: Yeah, so that, that happens. <laughs> um, stop asking me these is, questions. Just do it, damn it. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes you're like, okay, so that's the deal. Uh huh. Sometimes they go, actually, these are good questions, mm-hmm. and I don't have answers for them yet, but I'll come back to you. Mm-hmm. And that's at the, at the minimum, that gives you some breathing space, and sometimes they never come back. Thirdly, they actually have good answers to the questions which means that this is a thoughtful request and it means that you're probably gonna say yes to it because they know why they're asking you. But honestly, Stu, sometimes they go, you know what, I was asking you because you have a pulse and you were there in front of me.
2: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. I'm gonna go, and, you're, and honestly, you're too, much, you're too hard. I'm gonna go and find somebody who says yes more quickly and more easily. <laughs> and what happens to you is you start building a reputation for being strategic. And this is the connecting back to hmm. why we called it the strategic question. But ah. strategy, in the end, okay. boils down to: What do you are say you no able to? to say no to? The stuff you kind of want to say yes to.
0: Hmm. So, so you, so your reputation grows as someone who is not going to take on everything. Is right. that it? That's right. Yeah.
1: And and because if you're particularly in the context of organizational life, as you rise through the ranks. You want to be known as a thinker and somebody who is deliberate in what you say yes to, not somebody who just gets a whole lot of mm-hmm. stuff done.
0: All right, but someone who's inquiring. Yeah. Curious. Exactly. Trying to discern the wheat from the chaff or to cut it, right, to, to be clear it. about what what matters most. So wh- what, what advice do you have for people, uh, the folks who are listening, about how to begin to incorporate these uh, approaches to... Uh, to interacting with people, I, I'm, I'm loath yeah. to use the word coaching because it's not really. It's just, uh, it's yeah. just being being engaged and curious and learning, right?
1: You got it. And and we use that language. We say you know, we're trying to make people just be the people they are, but being more coach like, which is this... coach like, okay. So, so how do, where do you start? I th- the, the the secret for me is you start somewhere and you start small. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you don't want to go wow, these are amazing, these seven questions. I'm gonna try and ask all these questions all the time with everybody.
0: Exactly. That's
1: a sure road to misery. Bound to
0: fail, yes.
1: Bound to fail. So, you know, you've heard me talk about these questions. Uh, you can Google them, Google the coaching habit, and you'll find the seven questions. And then you go, which of these questions might serve me best? Mm-hmm. And then what I'd encourage people to do is say, okay, let me build my first habit around one of these these questions. Now, at thecoachinghabit.com, you can download the first two or three chapters of the book, and the first chapter is about building habits, so you can just grab that chapter if you'd like it. And we talk about the new habit formula in this. So this is me taking the work of Doohig and Fogg and a bunch of other people and going, here's a simple formula to build a new habit. And the formula is this. It's got three parts to it. Part one, when this happens. So this is when you're describing the moment, the trigger, the situation where you want to shift things to be different in the future
2: mm-hmm. when
1: this happens. Part two is the old habit that you're looking to shift. So it simply is instead of, and that's when you write out the old way of behaving, which might be in this case, you know, giving somebody advice or telling them what to do. And then the third piece is when you write out the new habit. And the, the twist is write out a new habit that you can do in 60 seconds or less. If you're interested in that, you're the the person to look up is B J Fogg F-O-double-G, mm-hmm. and find out why he recommends that you should build a habit. Any habit you build should take less than a minute to complete. Hmm. So it sounds like this, Stu. It's like, okay, I, I, lo- I love the I love the what's the what's on your mind question, the very first one that we talked about. So it could sound like this: When I have my one to one meeting with Stu on Monday. Uh, so that's the context, part one. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, Stu, here's our usual agenda. Let's just go through it. Mm-hmm. I will say, Stu, I know you've got a lot on your plate at the moment. So let's start somewhere that matters. What's on your mind? And you're like, great. I've got a specific moment. i mm-hmm. got a specific person. I've got a specific mm-hmm. question. I've got a habit that i either know whether I've done it or not. And then do it until you're like, okay, I've got this in my bones. What's the next question? What's the next situation that I might build a habit with? So mm-hmm. it's like, build it slowly, but build it deliberately. Build it daily, and that's the best place to start.
0: And and how do you build up from there? In the thirty seconds, what would you suggest to what, once you've once you've gotten yeah. a little grip, a little traction, you see yeah. the benefit, you want to grow, grow it. Where do you go from there?
1: You know, I think uh, for me this is one of those things where it's like a dojo when you're learning a martial art where you go back and you keep learning the Mm -hmm. basics and you just become more nuanced and refined and subtle and elegant in the way that you do that. Uh, What I would encourage people to do early on is to kind of lean into that and what else question because that's the question that elevates every other question. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't matter what your first question is. Almost certainly, you should be building a habit to say, after they give me the first answer, instead of starting to give them advice, I will ask, great, what else? (laughs) And Great, what else? And that's going to just really take you up to the next level of being able to stay curious and to deepen the inquiry by using, and what else?
0: And what else? Well, that's a fitting note for us to conclude, I would suggest. Michael, thank you so much for being my guest tonight. How can listeners find out more about your wonderful book and the work you do at Box of Crayons?
1: Thank you. Uh, look, if you're interested in the programs that we run with for organizations, boxofcrayons.com is the website. If you're interested in the book, you can, you can get it on Amazon and all the bookstores, but you could go to thecoachinghabit.com. And like I say, there's a ton of free stuff people can download and stuff to listen to. So you're welcome to go and pillage that site as much as you'd like.
0: Wonderful. Michael, Bungay, Stanier, thank you very much for joining us on Work and Life.
1: It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for having me, you.
0: And everyone who has listened to the show tonight, uh, thank you for joining us. If you have a question about something you might have heard on the show, you can email me at Friedman. At wharton.upen.edu or our station, which is businessradio at SiriusXM.com. You can follow our show on Twitter at bizradio111. I'm at Stu Friedman on Twitter, S-T-E-W. And you can find edited versions of selected shows as free podcasts at workandlifepodcast.com. So thanks very much to our producer, Patty Hall, our sound engineer, And music director, Tatiana Zamis. I am Stu Friedman. Thank you again so much for listening to Work and Life on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.